This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, just before we jump into it, a reminder that the views, forecasts and opinions expressed here are those of Hamilton at the date of this material based on current conditions, which may be subject to change and does not represent those of JP Morgan Asset Management. Let's get into it. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing and whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you have joined us for the very first time, a massive welcome. Congratulations on starting your Equity Mates journey. If you are getting up to speed with the basics, you can check out our Get Started Investing podcast. But with that said, my name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Good to be here. That's good. We've just come off a great interview with Hamilton Rayner, who is the head of US equity derivatives at JP Morgan Asset Management over in New York. Mm, mm. And it was a fascinating conversation all about how we can invest for income Mm. in 2023 because Mm. a lot of people are looking at how they can earn a bit of money from uh, bond investments or dividend paying stocks, uh, especially with the you know, the cost of living crisis and all of that, if you can find a way to get a bit of extra income at the moment, it's much appreciated. But we spoke about a whole other way to get income from investments, one that I wasn't really familiar with. And I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you weren't super familiar with either. Mm. And that was covered calls. Yeah, covered calls, a strategy that uh, form a key part of JP Morgan Asset Management's equity income strategy and we'll dig into it in uh in detail with hamilton but yes it's that's what i love about this show learning new things learning new strategies and income doesn't form a massive part of my portfolio but jp morgan asset management do have uh, have been active in this space with listed products launching in 2023 for us as retail investors which is awesome they have actually invited us to their uh head office here in sydney which, well, you actually weren't there we've, for that, were you? No, we've been. Yeah. We've been together. Yeah, that was for the... I don't think you were there for the breakfast, though, the launch. 
of the of Jeppy. All right. So yeah. what, what we're learning here is that what you're cutting me out of crucial <laughs> yeah, meetings sorry. with big financial institutions. Yeah, it was quite good. I think I was the only one there in a t-shirt. Everyone else was <laughs> everyone else was suited up. But anyway, that's pretty on brand for us. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They have brought a couple of uh, products to market uh, listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. There's the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income Fund uh, ASX ticket. J-E-P-I or mm. JEPI, mm. which I think now is the largest active ETF in the world. Yes. Because JEPI, it's listed in Australia, but then there's like an equivalent list in the US and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. so there's JEPI and then if you want a currency hedged version, it's JEPI. <laughs> <laughs> it's J-H-P-I. It's not quite as catchy uh, uh, acronym as JEPI. No. And so that um, uses this equity income strategy that we'll talk about in the interview on the S&P 500. Yeah. And then there's an equivalent fund that does the same thing, but on the NASDAQ 100, and that's JPEQ or yeah. the JP Morgan US 100Q Equity Premium Income ETF. Yes. JPEQ or the currency hedged version JPHQ. And if you're wondering what all of that <laughs> means, we will put all of those in the show notes and also we go through it with, uh, with Hamilton a little later in the interview. But while we are licensed, it is a, a reminder that we're not aware of your financial circumstances any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only any advice is general and also any commentary from Hamilton is uh, the opinions of his own and not of JP Morgan Asset Management but uh, look plenty of experience head of US equity derivatives and uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to speak with such experienced people at JP so Ren without further ado let's crack in let's do it well, Hamilton, uh, welcome to Equity Mates. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Now, we've got three parts in today's interview. We're going to uh, cover the state of the markets uh, as they are today, uh, a bit about your background, Hamilton, and then um, dig into investing for income. But before we do, Ren, we always love to kick off our interviews with our experts with the uh, Equity Mates daily company guessing game, BizNerdle. Yeah. And the way this works, five clues. Can we get them? Can we get the company before the fifth clue? Let's do it. So clue number one, here we go. Now a reminder, this is a global, re- relatively well-known listed, listed company. Yeah. yeah. I am a clue one. I am a popular online fashion retailer headquartered in London, where I was founded in 2000. Online retail, uh, fashion retail, not my strong point. Not, Hamil- my, not my strong point either. <laughs> Hamilton, do, do any uh, o- online retailers jump out to you? Online? If I were guessing, I would say H&M, but they're not online. I'm going to guess, uh, and this is because it's the one of the few that I know, I'm going to guess ASOS. ASOS? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a guess? Oh, uh, you've done it. Oh, it's ASOS? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There we go. First guess. Better to be lucky than good. (laughs) That's it. Nice. All right. Well, you've just completely taken away the rest of the game, but that's okay. (laughs) All right. Well, let's kick into it, Ren. State of the market. Yeah, let's do it, Hamilton. So uh, we're speaking just to uh, contextualise this conversation uh, on the 8th of June here in Australia. I think with the time difference, it's still uh, the evening of the 7th of June over in the US. Mm -hmm. But we're, you know, five months, we're into the sixth month of the year. How would you sum up the year so far? And I guess if we think back to the predictions that were made at the start of the year, um, have they played out or have have we been surprised by what the market's done so far in 2023? So when I think about the the backdrop for the market, 
Stocks are up, the S&P 500 is about 11.5% year to date. And when we started the year, people were worried about recession, the Fed, QT, earnings, inflation, uh, elections, you name it. And everyone was calling for a retest of the lows. So what I would call the market today is the most hated rally ever, <laughs> ever. No one's happy. Stocks are up 11.5%. We should be ecstatic. Stocks are up 11.5% and no one's happy. And those, you know, we have many people making excuses saying, well, it's a narrow rally. Seven names have equated to nearly 100% of the market returns. I think that's bullish. Imagine if the other 493 ever wake up and decide to go up. <laughs> and markets tend to go in a direction that hurt the most people, unfortunately. And with $7 trillion in money market funds in the U.S., with high, you know, high levels of cash in clients' portfolios, the market's pain trade is higher. Mm. Now, does that make me bullish? No. But it also doesn't make me bearish either because with all of that stuff we started the year with, you know, the Fed, QT, inflation, we didn't also include two significant bank failures. And the market's still where it is. And the VIX, as of today, you said it was uh, June 8th in Australia. The VIX is sub-14. The market is actually, I don't want to say ignoring it, but not really showing any uh, signs of, of fear or concern. That does not make me bullish that there's a market a little bit complacent. But what does make me, when I think about the overall risk to the market right now, it's not QT. It's not the Fed. It's not inflation. It's not the U.S. debt ceiling. It's not bank contagion. It's all the money on the sidelines have put people in a box that it will be near impossible to ever catch up from. Because even if the market today sold off 12%, huge sell-off, right? We had a, a summer swoon. We'd be flat on the year. Far from the retest the lows far from the 3,800, far from these things that these market prognosticators were calling for. I think it's almost dangerous, irresponsible, irrational, if you will, to see all these Dougie Downers on TV. So then the question is, Hamilton, where, where do you think, or what's your thoughts on where to from here? So from 2011 to 2021, it was a challenging macro environment because you had the U.S. debt ceiling in 2011 when the market sold up 14% over a two-week period. In 2013, you had the taper tantrum in the U.S. In 2015, you had high yield and, and, and uh, oil implode. In 2018, you had you know a, a market that was challenged with Balmageddon in February and then in the fourth quarter, a, a fourth quarter sell-off. And then in 2020, we had the market really take it on the chin because of COVID, especially in the first half. But numbers don't lie. We had 12% equity market returns, which are 20% above average. And we had 12% volatility, which is 50% below average, a ratio of one. So I'm being called a bull because I'm saying for the next decade, we're going to be average. <laughs> 8 to 10% equity market returns with 18% volatility, a ratio of about 0.4. And so when I put all of that together, my pleading with investors is don't be overweight stocks, but at the very least be equal weight to what your portfolio can portfolio is supposed to have. Don't get overly cute. You've never been rewarded for market timing. It's too darn hard to get the out 
the in, the out, and the back in right. And being right some of the time, it's just not good enough. You'll leave money on the table. Once again, as I said, if the market sells off 12% from here, do you feel good about yourself by being in cash? You're back to flat, flat on the year. So to me, I think market timing is one of those things that feels like you're going to outsmart the market. But unfortunately, too often, people leave significant money on the table. Yeah, that's a very important reminder. And I think this year has really shown it to so many new investors and a lot of our uh, listeners who, you know, we, we like to think we're still pretty young and, you know, we haven't had a lot of time in the market. Uh, but this was a real moment where a lot of people sold out thinking this year would be tough and then the S&P 500 has ripped. But as you said, uh, there has been a big divergence in some of the biggest names, uh, the mega, tap, mega cap tech stocks and then the rest of the S&P 500. I think the number was if you take out the big seven at the top of the S&P, uh, the remaining 493 would be up. 2% for the year or, or there or there or thereabouts. So it, it has been a, a tale of uh, two groups. How do you think about that in terms of where the market goes from here? I know you said the 493 just need to wake up, but um, <laughs> I guess the question is, will they wake up or will the mega caps come back down? So when I think about the other 493, one of the nice things about them being flat-ish is we get ever so close every day to start talking about 2024 and the next 12 months and the earnings recession and the earnings challenge that we we're going to have in 2023 become one less day in the rearview mirror. So when you start thinking about going forward with stocks flat and earnings expect to be up in 2024, they get cheaper every day. We get closer and closer to 2024. And as we go through June, Towards the end of June, people start saying next 12 months, and in the next 12 months includes six months of next year. So <laughs> when I think about the overall market, you know, I've heard some numbers that say that if you take out those top seven names and you look at the rest of the market, the market's PE is significantly lower than the headline number. Mm. So do I think there could be a change of leadership? I do. Am I calling for a significantly repricing of those top seven names? I don't, because in many cases, they were repriced last year. Just to remember, last year, Fangma, Fat Man, Magma, Gamma, whatever you want to call those <laughs> names, significantly underperformed the market last year. Mm. Technology as a sector was down 1,300 basis points more than the S&P 500. So this year, maybe people overreacted too ferociously last year and oversold growth, and oversold technology. So it's not like this is a massive rally on the back of a massive rally. Some of this is a get back from last year. Well, one company that's absolutely ripping at the moment is NVIDIA. And AI certainly seems to be the fad of the moment. There's a lot of hype around it, equity mates community, a lot of discussion. From your point of view, is it real? Is it hype? How should we be thinking about AI and, and markets? So I think AI is real. I think AI is real as far as not taking people's jobs, not, you know, not, um, you know, affecting GDP numbers globally. But imagine if I told you, I want you to do an analysis of company XYZ. What would you do? You'd read every piece of research you could. 
you'd call a couple people and say, what do you think about stock X, Y, Z? And then you would formulate a viewer opinion. What if you could do that at significant scale? Instead of reading 10 researcher papers a day, you could read 10,000 research papers in a day. What if you can actually, instead of having three or four or five conversations with people, have the equivalent of four or 5,000 conversations with people? It's about getting access to information to formulate a, a view or an opinion on a security. And I think AI gives you the ability to have that scale to make investment decisions, earnings forecasts. And when you think about stocks from an investing perspective, so many people say, this is what I expect. But what if you used AI to help formulate a range of expectations? This is what could go wrong. This is what could go right. And this is our base case. And then create a distribution around that from a stock perspective. Having that information at scale, you could talk to synthetically thousands of people that could tell you what could go wrong, thousands of people that could tell you what could go right, as well as the average base case. So I think AI is transformational from an information perspective to potentially make better, more informed investment decisions. Now, mm. can I talk about are we over our skis and is that now and how far out in the future is that? I'm not enough of an expert. Do you still need skill to interpret that information at scale? Absolutely. This is not about machines gone wild and self-driving helicopters and <laughs> cars and stuff like that. But I do think AI is real. Um, I do think um, this is different than, uh, than uh, the tech bubble because you just had to say .com, mm. HamiltonReiner.com, and you had a billion-dollar valuation, a $5 billion valuation. These are real companies with real opportunities, not saying everything is going to work, but there are going to be winners and losers. Absolutely. But AI as a concept, AI as far as being transformational to investing, AI being transformational to creating efficiencies is absolutely here and here to stay and growing. I must say though, Hamilton, we, uh, we've started to see here in Australia, similar to the dot-com, a few companies trying to sneak in AI into their investor presentations and, yeah. and <laughs> annual reports to try and get the AI bump. We have, we have a furniture company, online furniture company that's now calling themselves an AI company. So <laughs> they are trying to ride the wave. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yes. But, but when, I, when I think about the concept of AI, this is not... Uh, Pets.com. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Hamilton, you were at uh, Lehman Brothers in 2008, and I remember, clearly remember the day that uh, it all came to, to fruition. I was sitting in the car, heard it on the radio, still at high school, actually. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty... Uh, Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Are there any other things that have really stuck with you that you still sort of carry and, and remind yourself of today from that moment in time? Absolutely. So another thing is, 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 you know, one of the great things about Lehman, it was a group of people, single focused. It's us against the world to be in a foxhole with people that you trust, you like, that have a common goal is absolutely essential. One of the things I've always told people, and I've taken it in part of my personal career is, would you rather have the rock star job with the average manager or the slightly above average job with the rock star manager. I have seen time and time again, you're much better off with the latter. 
right? If you have a, a rock star manager, they're going to give you opportunities to grow, develop, learn that are fantastic. The average manager oftentimes stifles enthusiasm, stifles innovation, stifles growth. I think that's important. The other thing I, I think that I took away from, from Lehman as well, which is when you surround yourself with smart people, you have a chance to learn a heck of a ton. And so what I've learned as well is I hire when I bring people into my team to make sure that I'm either the smartest one in the room or I'm surrounded by the smartest people in the room. And I think that's also something that you that is a wonderful way of thinking and building a team. So I think Lehman had a great culture, a great environment, a great group of people. As I said, Dick Fold screwed up all of us. And I think I've still taken that. You want to have good teams, good environments. You know, when I look outside my office right now, I have a fair number of people still here, not because they have to be, but because they want to be. You know, Bryce and I, we do an investing podcast, but we've never worked in uh, the finance industry at any of these big investment banks. And uh, I think for us and for so many other everyday retail investors, we often have ideas about uh, how, uh, you know, uh, institutions like JP Morgan look at the market and, and how investors at an institution like that invest. You know, if we ever did go into the industry, we would find that a lot of our ideas about the industry were wrong. Uh, are there any common misconceptions that you come across when you're speaking to everyday investors about how uh, institutions like JP Morgan operate and think? So I assume there's some very large universities in Australia. Some of the best in the world. Tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And they're like, how do I actually exist in a very large organ in a very large uh, university, you know, I have a class of a thousand people, 500 people. I'm going to get lost. And what you find is within a large university, you've got smaller entities, whether it be eating clubs, fraternities, sororities, sports clubs, what have you. Well, JP Morgan is very large. But then when you break JP Morgan into JP Morgan Asset Management, and then you break JP Morgan Asset Management into JP Morgan Asset Management Equities. And when you break JP Morgan Asset Management Equities into JP Morgan Asset Management U.S. Equities, all of a sudden a very large organization gets a lot smaller very quickly. And I think the perception may be a very large organization like JP Morgan can't be innovative, can't be creative, can't be can't be, uh, 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 you know, quick to move, that it's a behemoth, it's a large, you know, boat that you can't turn. Well, when you take it from J.P. Morgan with 280,000 people to J.P. Morgan U.S. Equities, and even smaller than that, the team that I manage, you have the ability to be quick on your feet, to be innovative, to do new things, to try new things. I think many times people think that, uh, a place like J.P. Morgan is stodgy, not fun, um, not creative, slow to move. As 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 many of my colleagues would say, this is the first time they've seen me in a tie in multiple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> to be clear, and I'm, I'm actually wearing slacks. Uh, I would stand up, but I don't want to scare anybody. Nice. Um, most days, I'm wearing denim and a hoodie. Nice. Love and I'm that. not trying to channel my inner Mark Zuckerberg. It's just <laughs> by me wearing a hoodie and jeans means my team feels comfortable 
with that. But when I'm talking to folks like yourselves or clients, I'm going to address the part. And I think there's the misperception that we're large, you know, non-mobile, you know, stodgy. I would say that anything could be farther from the truth. All right, well, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Hamilton, we want to move to investing for income because it's uh, certainly topical at the moment. And after a lost decade for bonds, uh, rising interest rates have obviously made them a lot more attractive now for investors. But the challenge for us is to find yields that are above what seems to be our persistently high inflation. So can you help us understand, like broadly speaking, where should we be looking for uh, opportunities in this space? So there are many ways of finding yield, right? Number one, you know, it's, it's, it's a good environment right now relative to where we were. But we have to not forget it's not where we were. It's not a relative game, but it's actually an absolute game. It's sort of like, so if we got two inches of snow in Sydney, the city would probably shut down. Yeah, yeah it would be really weird. <laughs> it would be really weird the city would shut down. They'd be like, oh, my God, you know, global warming, global this, climate change. But two inches of snow is really not that hard. You put on a pair of boots and you walk through it. But they would shut down Sydney with two inches of snow because, oh, my God, it doesn't happen. Highly unusual, highly unlikely. That, to me, is kind of where we are right now. When you can get 5% on cash or ultra-short fixed income, you're sort of like, oh, my God, this is great because it's relative to zero, you know, a few years back. But when people think about accumulating wealth and growing wealth, You've never, ever thought about if I make 5% a year for the next 30 years, I can retire. So just because cash is not trash does not mean that you want to put all your money in that and ignore building a portfolio that generates some type of total return as well as some income. Now, for years and years and years, people felt like they needed to own duration to get income, right? I need to go far out, have duration to get income. Well, given right now the inverted yield curve in the U.S. and many places globally, you no longer need duration to get income. You can actually own short-term fixed income, ultra-short fixed income, short-term investment grade, and get pretty good income. The other thing that, you know, what, what I believe in is, is, is traditionally for the last decade, you've also had to tie up your money in – illiquid products to get income. You no longer need to do that. And one of my, my, my mentors actually said, I think it's crazy. You have to pay more money to have illiquidity in fees than actually in liquid products in fees, right? There, there's a higher fee for illiquids versus liquids. And they said, why am I actually paying a higher fee to be illiquid? And there's something to that. So when I think about income right now, there's the 
short-term and ultra-short fixed income, which is attractive. You have short-term investment grade. You still have the illiquids, but I think the illiquids have lost a lot of attractiveness with what other parts of the fixed income uh, world is. Um, and then you also see people investing in high yield and emerging market debt. The challenge with high yield and emerging market debt, I think, is is you're taking credit spread risk, you're taking duration risk, and you know there's some risk in putting that into your portfolio. The other thing I'd share with you is this: there is something called the Move Index. We're all very familiar with the VIX, right? The VIX is an implied level of market uncertainty. Right now, it's sub 14. The long-term average is 18, and a year ago was in the 20s. There's something else called the move index. The move index is sort of like the VIX of fixed income. It today is about 120, which is well above the long-term average over the last decade. Fixed income has a lot more volatility today than it has had in quite a long time, maybe like snow in Sydney, because we've never thought about fixed income being volatile. But we've seen more 10, 12, 15 basis point moves in the short end of the curve, as well as the back end of the curve, which equates to multiple hundreds of basis points of equity market moves, right? I mean, you know, a short-term move of 12 to 15 bips is 3, 4, 5% of an equity market move. Fixed income is a volatile asset class right now. And you need to think about that when putting into your portfolio. And as you know, you know, I, I, I am the manager of an income-oriented strategy that does call overriding to generate income. And what I like about that is it gives us the ability to own high-quality names, names that we like or love, names like Abdi and MasterCard and Hershey and Bristol and Microsoft, names that would be steady eddy stocks, blue-chip names, names that you'd want into your portfolio. And then around that, selling options on the S&P 500 index. So we remove beta by selling the options. We get some income from selling the options. And we never have our favorite stocks taken away from us like many other strategies that sell calls. Mm. So I think that it's, an, it's another interesting way of getting some income. Yeah, so let's let's delve into covered calls because I think for a lot of people listening, and to be honest for myself, it's not really a strategy that I've ever uh, really looked at. Um, so let me uh, read it back how I understand it and then you tell me if I've got it right and wrong and then let's get into it. So uh, you are long a stock or a, a market index uh, like the S&P 500, but then you're, sh- you're selling short options on that index as well and you're getting uh, paid by the person that's buying those call options. Is that, is that essentially the strategy? It's close. But before we go into that, what I'd like to spend one second on is the idea of call overriding is actually not new. If you were a farmer in the U.S., in Australia, 100 years ago, what would you do? You'd say, it's going to cost me about three bucks an acre to plant. But the problem is, A, I don't know what to plant, and B, I don't know what I'm going to get for it when it comes to harvesting it. So I'd go to an exchange or under some tree in downtown Manhattan, (laughs) and I'd say, what will you pay me for corn in six months' time? And so he'd say, six bucks an acre. And you'd be like, well, I can grow it for three. I could sell it for six. I can take that three and feed my family. 
If it goes above six, that's okay. I didn't need to be greedy. I can still feed my family. If it goes below six, I'm still really happy that I was able to lock in that six so that I get to keep that three. I'm going to take the bird in the hand today in return for potentially for going some of the upside. So now let's bring that to financial instruments. I go out and I buy, let's say, we'll keep it not exactly what I do, but using your example. I go out and buy an index. And I say, you know what? I'm going to sell an out-of-the-money option, generate some income in return for foregoing any type of appreciation above a certain level. If the market goes above that level, I will forego some of that upside for that bird in the hand of the options premium. And if it stays below that level, I still get the options premium. The other nice thing about selling that option is it reduces some of the beta of your portfolio. It reduces some of the volatility, some of the beta. So that's how call overriding at a most simplistic way of thinking about it. But there's some issues with that. In your example, if you buy the index and you sell an option, the only thing that's separating you from the index is whatever options premium you brought in, which means you can in many cases be capped to the upside and then eat all the downside. So in that world of the glass half empty, I want to find a way, how do I not eat all the downside when the market goes down? Because the market can and will go down, which is why we own, let's call it 60, excuse me, uh, 90 to 120 names that are more defensive in nature, higher in quality, stocks with more predictable earnings. Those stocks tend to go down less if and when the market sells off. Because I'm not worried about generating a decent amount of income. We're going to get a decent amount of income through dividends, options, premium. It's how do I solve for what could go wrong? What if the market goes down? How do I help myself and my investors potentially have less of the down capture? Well, you have to own a group of stocks that hopefully hang a little bit better. They may be a little more stodgy. They may be more Microsoft and, and Hershey and AbbVie and Bristol and, and MasterCard and Visa. And to be quite frank, a little less NVIDIA, a little less Tesla, some of the more spicy meatballs that exist in the marketplace. Because for us, it's not about what could go right, but what could go wrong to help give clients a better experience. Mm. And covered calls are obviously a key part of JP Morgan Asset Management's equity income strategy. And it's a strategy that sort of works best in volatile markets, as we've discussed in this interview, that it's sort of trading sideways. But how do they trade or perform, sorry, when markets are in a trending up or, or trending down? So there's five things that could happen with the market. Down a lot, up a lot, down a little, up a little and flat. So that range down. Well, if the market's down a lot, we expect that more defensive equity portfolio to hang in pretty well. The options premium will also help us dampen some of the downside. And therefore, we would expect to be down a fair amount less than the market if and when the market sold off, sort of like we saw last year. But then you could also end up in a ripping market, like we saw in uh, 2021, when the S&P 500 was up over 28%. Because we sell out-of-the-money options, we're going to give you some of the upside. In a year like 2021, in our, our performance was, we were up over 21% with the market up 28%. Still okay, we're still gonna give you some of the upside, actually a fair amount of the upside. And don't forget, we're doing with less volatility, we're doing it with less beta, and if you were to decompose that total return in 2021, it was about 
eight eight percent or eight and a quarter percent of income from from our dividends plus our options premium, and the rest from some capital appreciation. There is no free lunch. We will forego some of the upside of the market in return for that bird in the hand. Going back to that farmer example, we're going to give up some of that above six bucks of an acre in return for being paid today uh, some some uh, some premium. But to your point, what if we're in that range bound market? What what if Stanley Druckenmiller is right? We're due for that next decade of a lost decade where we're in a range bound market. You're still going to get the dividends and the options premium. It's still going to work out pretty darn well for us. Because when building a portfolio, I'm not a gambler. I'm, I just don't find enjoyment. I'd rather go out for a good meal and a good bottle of wine than sit at some table. But when you think about roulette, you can put all your money on black, all of it on red, or maybe all of it on green. Or you can spread your chips across the table, giving yourself as many possible ways of winning. A strategy that will do pretty you know, pretty darn well in a range-bound market, okay in a down market, and still participate in some of the upside and up market, I think creates a little bit of spreading your chips across the table, not just being on one or the other. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. And it's, it's as I said earlier, it's not something that I've come across much uh, in Australia. And um, I think it was really your JP Morgan Asset Management's product when I first came across it. Um, and, and it feels like, uh, at least in Australia, JP Morgan Asset Management have made it a real priority to release a number of funds to retail investors, uh, listed funds in particular, on the Australian Stock Exchange. Can you talk to us about uh, that strategy and I guess some of the products uh, that have come to market here in Australia? Sure. So from, from my perspective, you know, I'm the architect, founder, designer of the strategy that I manage. Um, if you ask my three actual children, they'll tell you that I do have work children, my strategies. <laughs> and so when I think about this strategy in Australia, there's a couple things I would say. My goal is not to be everywhere, anytime, but rather to be available for those people that would find interest in investing in our strategy and making it easy for them to do that. That's number one. Number two, why did we actually make my strategy available in Australia? Well, the first thing I would say is income is one of those things that just does, just does not go out of style, right? Everyone always needs and wants income. And there's a variety of ways of getting it. So this outcome-oriented strategy that I manage actually helps clients solve for this conundrum. How do I find above-average level of income? How do I participate in some of the market appreciation but with less volatility and less beta? How do I utilize you know, a very liquid product, an ETF, to put into my portfolio? And when I think about this strategy globally, what we have seen is it's not just retail. We're seeing institutions, pensions, endowments, foundations, um, corporates actually think about this strategy because they all have the same need. They all want income. They all want less volatility. They all want less beta. Many don't want to have high-yield credit spread risk. Many don't want to have a lot of the challenges that maybe emerging market debt has with it. So in a world in which income is interesting to investors, giving folks in Australia the opportunity to invest in a strategy which has resonated with many 
when my partners in Australia said, would I consider making this available in Australia? I said, absolutely, if you think there would be interest. I'm not looking to conquer the world. I'm not looking to be in every market, in every exchange, and in, in available. It's where people would find us interesting. We're looking to partner with them. Mm. Well, Hamilton, we have uh, run out of time, but want to just thank you for taking the time to speak to the equity mates community speak to ren and i about the opportunities in uh investing in income and we've certainly learned um learn a lot today as ren said it's not a, a strategy that we often speak about so hearing someone with such expertise talk us through it is always uh, a pleasure so thank you very much we do have one final question uh, each year we have the Equity Mates Investing Awards and uh, we have an Expert of the Year Award that is voted by the Equity Mates community at the end of the year. Now, by coming on the show, you are automatically entered into the awards. It is an opportunity Thank for you. our community to celebrate those that have really helped them on their investing journey. To help them get a little bit of insight into uh, into you, if you were to win the beautiful glass trophy that we would send the recipient, where would you put it? I'd put it right behind me smack dab in in my office for all to see and 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 appreciate love it thank you very much hamilton it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for taking the time all the way from new york we appreciate it thank you for having me really appreciate it guys you have been listening to an equity mates media production in the spirit of reconciliation equity mates media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and their connections to land sea and community we pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples today this podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.